Today's episode of the Gold Cast is sponsored by. Well, Ray, actually, it looks like pretty soon we're going to have actual sponsors. <laughs> That's uh, we will. So a a a yet yet to be disclosed sponsor. Yeah, yet to be disclosed sponsor, but uh, they got to respond to us. But but we're excited about the opportunity, and we think you guys will be too. Yeah, absolutely, we're excited too. Because it's it's related to our. They relate to. They relate to our um, our Absolutely. category. Sports. Sports and recreation. So uh, to new opportunities and a new 2020 for the gold cast. That's uh, that's uh, what the, uh, what uh, what this episode is going to be sponsored by for today. Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can like us on Facebook.com slash the gold cast. And you can also follow us on Twitter at the underscore gold cast. And you can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. YouTube and Stitcher all under the same monitor of the gold cast. Be sure to like subscribe and comment, especially the former. That way you get notified when we go live. And if you're on YouTube, make sure to click the little bell. So you get notifications on the spot when we go live. If you're that type of person that needs to be notified and tapped on the shoulder instantaneously, when new stuff from your favorite content goes live. And if you want to join the general discussion about all things gold cast, then YouTube is the place to be. However, we do interact with the fans and the like on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Now, Ray, why don't you know where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ray Solis and on Instagram at Ray Solis one. And you can find me on Instagram at Rudy Solis three and Twitter at Rudy Solis three R D. Also below. If you go into the, if you just go into the uh, description of any episode we play, you can see the contact information for myself, for Raymond, and for Candlestick Will. You can see that every single episode. Before we get started, real quick, Raymond, myself, Candlestick Will, we all just recorded a, another Top 11 podcast. The Top 11 podcast that we recorded today was all about the Top 11 Greatest sports teams of all time i had a blast raymond what did you think i thought it was great uh the fact that we have a very kind of restrictionless format really allows for a lot of creativity and freedom and how the lists are arranged and and how the uh how each entrant is placed on the board so i i thought it was really cool I thought it was really cool, too. I think, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, we did this several hours ago earlier today. Uh, it'll be coming up probably next week is when we'll, we'll air it. But I believe we only had two two, uh, two, two different, two, two, I'm sorry, two teams that were at the same place and only on two lists. It was myself and Candlestick Will. We had one team both at the number seven spot. But outside of that, I don't think anybody had the... You and I sort of did at the number one spot, sort of, you know? But that was about it. They were all... We were all really different. Yeah, it was vastly, vastly different. Really good. We can't wait. That episode will be dropping very soon. But here we go. It is time. Wild card weekend. The 49ers... We shall be sitting atop Mount Faithful, watching 
watching as the wild card teams destroy each other and eliminate each other. <laughs> and then they will meet us in the divisional round. The worthy winner, the lowest seed, will come to San Francisco to play us in the divisional round. But today, we're going to preview that wild card weekend. It's going to be fun. The greatest fanalist in the game. He's here. Your professor of fanalism. He's in the building too. Class is in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? Are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Cease III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis, the first baby. Boom, boom, boom. Raymond, isn't it great that Wild Card Weekend is here and we just get to sit back and watch the games? Meanwhile, our team just gets healthier and healthier and just keeps adding back another defensive player after another defensive player? It is a terrific weekend of stressless football where the weak will fall and the less weaker team will rise momentarily. Momentarily, only to have their head chopped off. Or I should, or I should say that the weakest team will fall and then the weaker team will rise or proceed right. forward. Will proceed forward. And only to have their head chopped off by the San Francisco 49ers. I can't wait. But Raymond, we have four games this weekend. So here is the schedule. So on Saturday, Saturday is going to be the AFC. It will be the fourth ranked tech, uh, the fifth ranked Bills at the fourth ranked Houston Texans on Saturday. Uh, 435 Eastern, which is 135, yeah, 135 Pacific Standard Time on ESPN. Then at night, the 5 o'clock game will be on CBS. It will be the 6th ranked Tennessee Titans up against the 3rd ranked New England Patriots. The New England Patriots in the rare position of the 3rd seed, having to play on uh, wild Card Weekend for the first time since 2009. That is quite, uh, quite, a, quite a change for them. Sunday. Sunday we get to the conference that matters. The conference that historically is the greatest conference. The more dominant one. The one with all the good teams. That would be the NFC Conference. The National Football Conference. Not the AFC. The garbage AFC with all the garbage teams. So Jeez. what we're going to have... I know, it was so intense. <laughs> you swear every team representing the AFC were the Raiders with, with the way that went. <laughs> garbage AFC. Never liked the, gar the AFC. Historically a garbage conference. The number six Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings, will be playing at the number three ranked New Orleans Saints. That will be the 10 a.m. game. And then... The 1 o'clock game will be the Seattle Seahawks at the Eagles. Seattle's going to Philly. And now here we go. The Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't do the rankings. The fifth-ranked Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> Very easy, easy seating to forget. 
easy seem to forget. That's absolutely right. And the number three ranked Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles will go at one o'clock on NBC. That more that morning game, the ten a.m. game, Vikings at Saints will be uh, on Fox. All right, Raymond. So let's start. Let's start with just some of the basics here between the 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 uh, the the Bills and the Texans. So the spread. Vegas is saying that uh, Houston by three, with the over/under being set at forty-two. So uh, Buffalo is averaging about nineteen point six per game. That's got their twenty-third ranked offense. They're surrendering six point two points per game. That's the number two rank in defense. The, this was where the Niners were earlier in the season. Houston's averaging twenty-three points per game. And surrender, they're 14th in the NFL. Houston is surrendering 24 points per game. I don't understand how that's possible. But uh, they're the 19th ranked, they're, the, they're ranked number 19 in the NFL. So Houston is saying that they believe the Texans are going to win by three. But uh, that's just kind of an overview. Why don't you give a, a little bit of a further breakdown for the people? Well, this is going to be an interesting game to me because you have two of the best rushing quarterbacks in the league outside of Lamar Jackson. Deshaun Watson and Josh Allen both rushed for uh, Josh Allen rushed for nine touchdowns this season, over 500 yards. Deshaun Watson rushed for over 400 yards with seven scores on the ground. And but Deshaun Watson was certainly the much better pocket passer in the league. And I think whereas Josh Allen is still honing those skills, which is why I think that he leaned on his rushing skills a little bit more than Deshaun Watson did. And you could see that with two additional scores, oh, nearly nearly 100 yards more than Deshaun Watson, which is a lot for a quarterback. And that kind of disparity kind of gives you a clue as to who's leaning more on their legs than their arm. And Deshaun Watson is a clear winner in that regard. And another thing interesting about Deshaun Watson. So Deshaun Watson passed for 3,852 yards, 26 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. And there's another quarterback in the NFL that had great numbers like we're seeing there. And What were the numbers? For the other quarterback. And by the way, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson was also named to the AFC Pro Bowl roster. The other numbers, before I reveal the player, threw for 3,000. So Deshaun Watson threw 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and a completion percentage of 67%. The other quarterback threw for 3,978 yards, more than Deshaun Watson, 27 touchdowns, one more than Deshaun Watson, and 13 picks, so he threw one more than Deshaun Watson. But his completion percentage was 69%, nearly 70%, which for those of you that pay attention to the wider NFL outside of your preferred team know that once you get into 70%, that is Drew Brees' territory, which is very, very elite. And that player was none other than number 10, Jimmy Garoppolo. For the Jimmy Garoppolo. Yet, gosh, he seemed to be, correct me if my memory's wrong, Rudy, but he seemed to be very much in doubt and scrutinized throughout the season. And Deshaun Watson was often involved in, especially early on in the season, was involved in MVP discussions. Yet 
Jimmy Garoppolo he, he was. ended ended the season with slightly better better completion percentage, better passing yardage, better touchdowns, more touchdowns. I mean, it's only one, but it's still more. It's still more. It's still more. And not only that, Ray, not only that, let's talk about the intangibles, the things Rudy really likes. The fact that when there's two minutes left in the game and you're down by a touchdown and Jimmy G's in there, this guy is has ice in his veins and has taken us down to the wire for basically five straight games, except for the Seahawks game where the the, the defense came in and won it. The, the four leading up into that fifth one, it was pretty much Jimmy G uh, at the end of the day, and the, the interceptions have gone way down over through the season. Way, he got those way under control. I thought he's played fantastic all year. I thought that the offense was designed specifically to get him comfortable with uh, leading the team under the Kyle Shanahan system. I thought that the offense was designed to help work around the fact that he was still healing from an ACL tear. I thought the offense was designed to slowly bring him into the fold and allow him to become the pocket passing leader that he's capable of being when he was ready, which really began in week eight. And we saw from week eight on a much more dominant version of Jimmy Garoppolo. And so, yes, Raymond, I agree. I have a lot of gripes with this this fallacy, this silly notion that Jimmy G is not a good quarterback. He's a very good quarterback. He's not a Alex Smith who we know was a was a product of a system that was trying their best to, you know, work with him. And similar with Kaepernick. Kaepernick had had some, you know, accuracy accuracy issues from very early on and it was very obvious that he was uh you know, he was really good outside the pocket on the run, uh, outside the pocket when he was throwing his completion percentage was like oh, it was up in the 80s and 90s when he was running out of the pocket. He was a very good runner, and it was clear that he really struggled inside the pocket um, past his first read. And we we picked that guy was picked up very quickly. Uh, Jimmy G doesn't have any of these issues, and in fact, all I think I've all I've really seen is two things happen with Jimmy G this season. He's getting reacclimated to an offense that he only had five games in or five or eight games in, basically a year and a half earlier. And on top of that, he was also coming back from a devastating injury. And as the season has gone on and both of these two issues have dissolved, you've seen a much, I would say, not a much better Jimmy G, just a more confident Jimmy G capable of doing more. Yeah, absolutely. And we can see, and one thing that I also really like about Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo that is, I think... uh, puts him into look here's the thing based on these numbers and based on who got who got selected to the pro bowl and who didn't now granted the quarterbacks in the nfc are a lot more efficient than the quarterbacks in the afc this season statistically and you could argue over the past decade because aaron Rodgers and drew Brees both threw up the similar amount of touchdowns as jimmy garoppolo did but their touch but their interception ratio was about a third two-thirds less than Jimmy. So, and I get that. That's fine. But, again, my my first example, Deshaun Watson, Pro Bowl, voted to the Pro Bowl with slightly less numbers, slightly lesser numbers than Jimmy Garoppolo. That, to me, tells me, and also, you know, there's a little bias here, but at the same time, if I'm also being objective, looking at the numbers alone, Jimmy Garoppolo 
had a Pro Bowl season. Simple as that. And Jimmy Garoppolo was named to the Pro Bowl as an alternate. That means if one of the quarterbacks elects not to play or something like that, Jimmy would have the arbitrary decision to put put himself in there, which I doubt he will because he'll want to stay stay ready for the uh, the game. Unless if, if they don't go to the Super Bowl and somebody drops out, then I would see him possibly playing in the Pro Bowl. But if he goes, if we go to the Super Bowl, then sure enough, you won't see him there. But the point is that he played at a tremendously high level. He was very sharp throughout the season. I, and in the beginning, I felt like the running game was averaging nearly 200 yards a game. So he didn't have to throw as much. And that's fine. And a lot of the picks that he threw came in the first half of the season, as you pointed out, Rudy, versus the latter half. And statistically speaking, Jimmy Garoppolo was the top five quarterback from week nine on um, in the NFL. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the league in the second half of the season. And he's only going to get better. His ceiling is unknown at this time. I mean, he could get, from from what we've seen so far, Jimmy can be really good, really, really good with the way he throws the ball. Having a quick release, not being, and what I was going to mention is one of my favorite attributes of his is his ability to, or I should say not ability, but his willingness to hang in the pocket to make a throw even though he knows it's going to come at the cost of a hit. There's something in him that isn't afraid of standing in there and making the throw. And, you know, knowing that perhaps he's going to get a hit after the fact. And I've seen, there's, there was maybe one, maybe one or two games where he seemed rushed and flustered in the pocket. But majority of the season, 80, 85% or more of the time, when when that was going to happen, and we saw this even in 2017, he would just, there's something in him that just is okay standing there and taking a shot because he's focused on getting the ball downfield to his first, second, or third read. And that's something that you can't necessarily coach. I mean, I mean, you, you yeah, you can't just, I mean, you can simulate it, but the players could just going to have to get comfortable through conditioning unless they already have it in them, which Jimmy does they're going to have to condition themselves to get used to that. Or you can do what Josh Allen and Deshaun Watson do, which is to run out of the pocket. Or Russell Wilson, who runs in circles and finds himself time to make a play happen. Or you just do what Baltimore does and just, you know, half half the time you're running by design versus running off script. But anyways, uh, that, that's uh, enough of that rant, a, a well-warranted rant. I will I will conclude because the numbers do not lie. But this is going to be a interesting game because you have these two quarterbacks with these two very similar skill sets going after one another. However, the big thing that really stands out to me— You're in- talking about—I'm sorry to interrupt. You're talking about the, the Bills versus the Texans. Now I know, going, I know now we just went on a five-minute tirade on Jimmy yeah. G, but— <laughs> Yeah, now we're getting back to the wild card weekend between yeah the Bills at the Texans, at Houston Texans. And to me, it's the defenses. You have the number two ranked defense in the NFL going up against a bottom feeder. This is a bottom feeder. In points, they allow more points than they scored, most likely because... 19, 19 ranked ni- number number two versus 19. Yes, in points allowed. But in rushing mm-hmm. yards, passing yards, and uh, overall total yards, this is a bottom 10 defense. In terms of total yards and passing yards, they are bottom five. So this is a team that gives up points 
and is going to allow offenses to have a fighting chance. So if the Bills want a fighting chance, and I actually like the Bills in this one, although I, there, you can't count out Deshaun Watson's ability to put points on the board and find his his big playmakers, which is I think the great the saving grace here. But against the Bills defense, I just think that that's going to be a really difficult task because this is a top ten rushing defense. This is a top four passing defense. This is the third best total yards defense and the second best in points allowed this is an elite an elite defense very similar to ours i don't think it's quite as good as ours but they're right there they're right there up there with new england and san francisco in rankings and baltimore for that matter so i think that deshaun watson is going to have his handful so if the bills can play the way they've played for a majority of the season then I think Deshaun Watson's not going to be able to do what he's always done. And his legs might, he might need to depend more on his legs in this one to help keep drives alive if they're not able to sustain the running game to give some off balance, to give balance to Deshaun Watson's passing attack. Because if they can't do that, then, you know, it's kind of a lots of luck thing. On the other hand, Buffalo doesn't have a whole lot of offensive weapons outside of, what's his name, Um, the, the, uh, the running back. The uh, I forget his name, but he's he started to uh, he's starting to get more handoffs. I know they're reliant on Frank Gore earlier in the season, but Devin Singletary is the person I was thinking of has really kind of come on in the latter half. I think they should probably use a mixture of two to keep the Texans off balance. That's that would be my recommendation. But to be honest, Josh Allen is the third the third dragon head in their rushing game. Frank Gore, Devin Singletary, Josh Allen they all have over 500 yards each. So their their rushing attack is similar to ours, where they have where it's distributed amongst three players. However, that third player just happens to be the quarterback, which is uh, unique to them. But I think if they if they're able to do that, then you can give Josh Allen a chance. But to me, I think Buffalo's defense is is really good, and I think that if if they play the way they've played, then I don't think Deshaun Watson is going to be able to muster much offense. And I think this one kind of ends to me. I see Buffalo winning on the road, and this is going to be similar to a lot of other games that Buffalo's played this year, where it's like 16-10 or 16-13 in favor of Buffalo. I also like Buffalo in this matchup. Uh, Defense wins championships, and defense, it never becomes more obvious how important a defense becomes until you get to the postseason. Case in point, last, last year. New England versus Los Angeles, a purely defensive, old-school classic game. You know, and even last year when they were talking about offenses winning championships, you're seeing a changing of the guard. Defenses don't matter, and then we get to the championship, and it's literally, literally nothing but pure defense. A a game so defensive, people called it one of the most boring uh, Super Bowls in history, and I would say that mainly because of the two teams, not because of the defense. But yes, so we are in agreement Buffalo Bills over the Texans. Raymond, now the next game is our night game, our big major matchup for the AFC, the struggling, limping Pats versus the Tennessee Titans, a team who's kind of been a little bit of a Cinderella story this year. Not as much as the 49ers. I don't think you get more Cinderella than the 49ers, but... 
Here is, uh, you know, our our spread. Vegas has them at, at New England at four and a half point favorites. The total over under is forty three point five. The Tennessee is averaging twenty five point one points per game. Uh, Tennessee, Tennessee, at, uh, New England averaged twenty six point two points per game, and they're surrendering fourteen point one points per, per game. And now here we go. Tennessee defeated by the Houston Texans last week. Or they defeated the Houston Texans last week. The New England Patriots lost the prior week to the Miami Dolphins in heartbreaking upset fashion. Heartbreaking if you're from New England. Awesome if you're from everywhere else. And uh, that loss, of course, allowed the Kansas City Chiefs to bump up to the second position the second seed and now as we mentioned earlier for the first time new england will be on the road since 2009 to well new england will be on wild card weekend to play for the first time since 2009 raymond your thoughts on this game so this is a game that on paper really favors new england and how could you not come to that conclusion they're at home they've been at the show for the umpteenth time and during this 20-year stretch of theirs and they're going up against a heavy underdog that, you know, had a quarterback issue earlier in the season, but really kind of found their stride with Ryan Tannehill, who actually is the number one, has the number one rated passer rating in the entire league. He was number one in the NFL this year. 22 touchdowns to six picks. He threw for over 2,700 yards. So Ryan Tannehill was very effective in this game, but this team really relies on one particular player who was on my fantasy team this year and did a tremendous job. I was very proud of him. And that was Derrick Henry, who rushed for 303 attempts, over 1,500 rushing yards, and 16 touchdowns. He was an absolute monster of a running back this year. And Derrick Henry is just a monster of a person. If you ever seen him play, just take a look at him. Go look up images of him. on. He is not he is not small by any means. He is tall. He is large. He is well over 200 pounds. He's just a mammoth of a man. And if Tennessee can get him going and keep him going throughout the game to keep Tom Brady on the sidelines but also sustain long drives and try to wear down this stout New England defense, they've got a shot. I don't think if he has a good game that they're necessarily guaranteed the win. But if they want a legitimate chance of winning on the road against the champions, then it really needs to, then Derrick Henry really needs to show up in this game. And he's been very consistent all year. But that to me is the key to this one for the Tennessee Titans. On the other hand, New England just kind of has to keep doing what they've been doing. And that's to feed the ball to whoever the hell's in the backfield for them that's willing to run the ball effectively. Sonny Michelle, James White. And Rex Burkhead were okay. They weren't all great this year. They weren't really great, to be honest. I I don't think they have a great rushing offense, in my opinion. And they're a passing team. They they run they run better than or they pass better than they run. You know, they're a top ten passing passing offense, and they're a bottom half rushing offense. So 
they're going to be one side. If you, you want to force them to, to just play that game because that's what's gotten them into trouble in the four losses and some of the close games that they have played this season. So for Tennessee's defense, they're really going to have to keep the keep the rushing offense of New England at bay and force Tom Brady to beat you with with his arm and just try to rush him and get get in his face because if you flush if you flush Tom Brady he's going to make mistakes he's just like any other quarterback in that regard and he is ha, does have some elbow issue that's been bugging him I don't know how I think he's still going to rise to the occasion because he's just so used to it and they're probably going to give him an injection if it's really bothering him so he's going to play no matter what but I think that and this is also the first year in a long time that he, where he hasn't made the Pro Bowl. So it's just not been that kind of season for Tom Brady. So he looks vulnerable. And we had to wait for him to get into his 40s for that to happen. But sure enough, here it is. Here's the opportunity for, yes, here's the opportunity for the Tennessee Titans to really kind of put a hurting on this team. But I really think it starts and stops with Derrick Henry and just kind of making New England one-dimensional because they struggle in the one-dimensional game because a they don't have a great prolific running back and more importantly they only have one receiver that is a surefire you know lock down to to help them to for them to look to and that's what's his name uh julian edelman he's been fantastic for most of the season he got over a thousand yards he had six scores he had over he had a hundred receptions so he was the workhorse the next best receiver was the running back james white who caught who caught 72 balls for 645 yards and five scores. So there's a huge disparity between the top wide receiver and the next best one for New England. They've had a rotating carousel of receivers that have gone through this team. Mohamed Sanu did not work out very well when when they got him in the trade and we ended up getting Emmanuel Sanders. We clearly got the better one in that deal. Antonio Brown came and went for the team, only just played one game. Josh Gordon was short-lived on this roster. So there's not a lot of options outside of Julian Edelman. All you have to do is lock Julian Edelman down and force Tom Brady to look to his other options, which are not as reliable. And more importantly, just get him to the ground and, and take away that running game because this is a time, this is the this is the season where Tom Brady really needs it because as quarterbacks tend to slow down and their skill sets begin to diminish because of age, they really do need to be more reliant on the rushing game, which is what saved John Elway and allowed him to get those two late Super Bowls in his career and also what allowed Peyton Manning to get his last Super Bowl before he retired because their arms weren't at, weren't the same, they weren't the same passers at that time. But what saved them and allowed them to still just be efficient enough was that they had a strong running game. And New England doesn't have that this time. So I think New England's going to win, but I really do hope that Tennessee comes out and surprises everyone with an upset. So that's that's what I'll say. I think New England's going to win, but I hope Tennessee comes up with the upset. What do you think the score is, or do you not have a score? I think the score is probably going to be something like, 25-21. That's funny. I was thinking 26-21 in favor of the Patriots. Yeah. I think Pats. Everybody's so ready to sign off the Patriots. And while the Tennessee Titans are a wonderful little Cinderella story, they're still a year away. I, in no way, shape, or form, am ready to count out a Bill Belichick-coached Patriots team with Tom Brady in the lead. I fully expect this team to handle their business. They win a tight one, go into Kansas City, and then that's when they'll get smoked. But I'm telling you right now, 
They win 26-21 in favor of the Patriots. All right, Raymond, here we go. Saturday, the NFC teams, the main event, the one we're all waiting for, the real headhunters. Number one, the sixth-ranked Vikings at the Saints. This is the morning game. Let's talk about this. Uh, lots to unpack in this one. So here, here we have... Let's pull up my numbers here. Minnesota averaging 25.4 points per game, number eight in the NFL. Minnesota surrendering 18.9 points per game, only the fifth ranked in the NFL. New Orleans, though. Oh, big, bad New Orleans. The, uh, the team that's gotten the most uh, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking stories uh, on their quest to get to the Super Bowl the last two years in a row. Arguably, I believe, would have won both those Super Bowls had they actually gotten there. But unfortunately, Lady Luck is a fickle bee, and that doesn't mean anything when it comes out to her. So New Orleans is averaging 28.6 points per game this season. They're third in the league, and then they're surrendering 21.3. That is 13th in the league. Minnesota last loss of the Bears at home, week 17. New Orleans defeated the Carolina Panthers, smoked them. Man, this is, they've been smoked a couple times this year. 42-10 to 10 on the road in week 17. The Vegas has New Orleans as the clear-cut favorites. Eight points. Eight. The spread is eight in favor of New Orleans. Their total, the total of render is 48. So now, Raymond, the stage is yours. To me, this game is much more clear-cut. And for two very distinct reasons. Number one, Drew Brees at home is a far different quarterback than Drew Brees on the road. Drew Brees threw for nearly a thousand yards more at home than he did on the road. He threw seven more touchdowns than he did on the road. 17 scores versus 10 on the road. And by the way, his passing yards, for those who are curious, he threw for 1,997 at home and 982 on the road. Much, much different player at home. In the Dome, the Saints are still tough. This is a historical consistency with this team that I think will remain true in this game. On the other side, Minnesota, even though they have a really good defense and they've got some great players on that defense that are are actually pretty fun to watch. I think Harrison Smith, the strong safety, he's a terrific player. If you guys have ever watched, you want to see a really good strong safety that just has great ball awareness, great tackling ability, just a smart, smart player. Harrison Smith is really one to watch out for in this game on the defensive side. I expect him to have a pretty good game. And on, on the new Orleans side, Marshawn Lattimore will represent them in the Pro Bowl. He's had a great season for the most part. He's gotten burned a couple times here and there, but for the most part, he's been great. And I expect him to have a strong game because Minnesota really doesn't have a whole lot of options at the wide receiver position. Adam Thielen has been a shadow of himself this year. And Stephon Diggs is kind of, you know, the north-south big play guy. He's not really a possession receiver. That's really Adam Thielen's job. So I imagine Kyle Rudolph and Dalvin Cook are really going to have to play well in order to give Minnesota a chance. But the reason why I don't think Minnesota is going to do well is mainly because this, like the New Orleans Saints, the Minnesota Vikings struggle on the road. 
they were 500 this season. They were they won four games. They lost four games. They're just inconsistent, or I should say, they're consistent in being inconsistent. They were much better at home, but they don't have that luxury for this game. And the Saints are were pretty were actually pretty good this year on the road. They, I mean, playoffs is a different story for them, but. This year they were seven and one on the road, but they're not going to have to have that challenge this year. And they were six and two at home. You know, and one of those two losses came from the San Francisco 49ers, if I'm if I may add that. So I think oh, that yeah. I think the Saints, I think the Saints are going to kind of win convincingly. I think maybe the first half will be pretty close, but Drew Brees and company, I think with those weapons and them kind of really. I think they got a bad taste in their mouth by not being able to pull out the number one seed because they've been steamrolling ever since that game, and they've they've been playing with fire and they've 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 gotten hot right when you need to get hot. So they're in a really good rhythm right now, and I just don't see Minnesota being able to stop them for four quarters to give Kirk Cousins a chance to put up numbers on the board. And I like Kirk Cousins; he's all right. He's a not a bad quarterback. He put up good numbers on paper, but he struggled in primetime games. I I just think that there's some jitters in him when the spotlight really needs him to perform. And he's typically been less than stellar more often than not in those situations. And I just don't think that the trend is going to flip the other way in this game, especially with these with there being a larger disparity in I guess in in efficiency with these teams. The Saints are just a much better team. They're much more well-rounded. I think Minnesota has been good at times, and they have the roster to be that similar type of team, but they just haven't been able to do it. And part of that is with the quarterback play. That's why it was heavily scrutinized in the first few games of the season. And then Kirk Cousins went on a run. But what happened after that run? Was it sustained? No, it actually wasn't. And then it dropped off in certain times and couldn't get it together on Monday night primetime games. So I just think that I think the Saints are going to win this one. I think it's going to be like, uh, this is probably going to be like 33-21, something like that, where they're going to, it's going to be close but uh, for like first half, but Saints are going to pull away. And and, and com- at, there's going to be a point in the game where everyone's going to be convinced that New Orleans is going to win this game. This game, Raymond, to me, I completely agree with you. This is the one game that to me has just all the makings of a blowout. This is the game where the Saints solidify. And really, after this game, everyone's going to be saying, I'm telling you what the talk is going to be on Monday. And I I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I will be. The talk on Monday will be the New Orleans Saints are the number one team in the NFC, and they're going to go to the Super Bowl. And everyone's going to say that the second they see the dominance that's going to be displayed by the New Orleans Saints against the Minnesota Vikings. I'm taking the New Orleans Saints. I have no faith in Kirk Cousins. I think he's an efficient quarterback. I agree with you. Too jittery. Not doesn't have that clutch gene. Not yet. Not saying he can't develop it, but I'm saying he doesn't have it right now. Two minutes to go. If I have to take uh, Kirk Cousins or Jimmy G, I'm taking Jimmy G every single time. I'm never taking... Uh, Kirk Cousins. I say this is the blowout of the weekend, 35-20 in favor of the Saints. Wow, that's a pretty big one. Yeah, I I, I, I think it's going to be... I think I'm giving Minnesota Vikings a little bit more credit because they, they 
they have at times put up some decent amount of points. But again, I just don't think Kirk Cousins has a lot of options at the wide receiver position. After Stephon Diggs, who's their north-south deep threat, and that's kind of he's kind of a one-trick pony in my opinion. But after that... I love Stephon Diggs, though. Yeah, but after that, it's Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook's the next best wide receiver. And the difference... The difference in in the targets and the receptions there, well, the targets, I should say, are not, the the receptions are actually pretty close to one another. But in terms of like getting the ball, who's, who's really eating up the yardage in this, in this wide receiver attack, it's, there's, Stefan Diggs had over 1100 yards this year, Dalvin Cook 519, and it's the next top receiver on this offense. So again, similar situation like New England, where they've got one bona fide receiver, but in this case, it's not a Julian Edelman who is a possession receiver and can keep your chains moving. Stephon Diggs, on the other hand, is more of a big play pony. You know, he's not a move the chains guy. That's why Kyle Rudolph, Dalvin Cook, they and more importantly, Adam Thielen needs to have a big game if they want a chance here. Adam Thielen needs to be the possession guy. He can't just be the red zone guy like he was, you know, a season before, before he had that injury where he was all over the end zone. He needs to be a possession guy. Dalvin Cook's going to be the chain mover on the ground, but Kyle Rudolph, Thielen, and Cook are going to have to help and give Stephon Diggs some help to keep the chains moving in addition to the running attack because we know that New Orleans is going to focus on that, and they're a top five rushing defense, so they're no slouch when it comes to stopping the run, and they're going to be fixed on Dalvin Cook because they know if they make Kirk Cousins one-dimensional, he's going to struggle mightily, especially under a bright spotlight. 100%. What do you think is the score? What's the final score? Well, I, well, like I said, I, I think it's going to be like 33-23, something like that. Okay, but you're still – I'm looking at a, a two-possession uh, two lead. You're you're looking at like a possession and a half. You're thinking – I'm thinking they're going to win by 14 or 15. You're saying they'll win by 10. Mm-hmm. Still, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty big gap to lose by in the playoffs. Yeah, I think I think it's time. I think I think New Orleans is gonna, you know, they're 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 the better team. They've got all the better weapons. They're they're a well-oiled machine at that, and I just think that they're gonna exact the revenge from last year, even though it's not the same playoff. You know, it's not the same playoff game. It's it's wild card versus championship. Yeah, for sure, and still, and still, or or from two years ago, two years ago, mean, yes, the revenge yes. from two, two years ago. And but but also, I mean, come on, the 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 holy the holy trinity of saints, Michael Thomas, Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara. That is one beast of a combo. Very difficult to yes. beat. And, and as you said, and Michael, they have been yes. on fire. Michael Thomas is not a speedster. Like he's the best wide receiver in but, the league. But he is an absolute monster. He will keep the he will keep the possessions going, and he will also be a deep threat. And he's also an option deep into the red zone. So not a, no, he's a long ball threat, even though he doesn't have the speed you typically see in a long ball wide receiver, like a Tyreek Hill, for example. But he can do it all. He can do it all. And Alvin Kamara is a dual threat running back, just like Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin Cook is better. He's had a better season this year. But he's been he's been hot as of late, and so I expect him to still to still to to stay stay warm in this contest. Agreed. All right, Raymond. The final game of the weekend. Wildcard weekend closes with those douchebag, scumbag Seattle Seahawks 
going to pretty little Fresh Prince Philadelphia to play the little Eagles. Go Birds! And I don't mean those Hawks. All right, so Raymond, the spread has Philadelphia, I mean, has Seattle. Seattle, Vegas has Seattle, 1.5 favorites, one and a half point favorites. How dare you, Vegas? How dare you? And the total over under set at 46. Now, let's let's talk some numbers. Let's talk some points numbers. Some these are also these are all gambling stats. I like, I like throwing out these gambling stats. Seattle averaging 25.3 points per game, ninth in the NFL. Seattle surrendering 24.9 points per game, 22nd in the NFL. Philadelphia. Averaging 24.1 points per game. This is where that one and a half favorite comes in. You can see the numbers right here. One point less than Seattle. 12th in the NFL. Philadelphia surrendering 22.21 points per game this season. That's 15th in the NFL. For those comparing, Seattle surrendering 24. Philadelphia surrendering 21. Seattle lost to the San Francisco 49ers in week 17. Philadelphia defeated the New York Giants. In week 17. Raymond, here is the game. I am dying to hear. What do you think happens? Do we see Seattle for the rubber match? Or is the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, are they coming to San Francisco? Either way, Raymond, we're probably facing a team whose moniker is a bird. <laughs> no matter no matter how you slice it, we're going to face a bird team. And... I just hope it's the team that has a real life bird mascot that represents their team. One that represents America. Versus a fictitious bird that does not exist in any way, shape, or form. No, it doesn't exist in the illustration on the helmet. The beak of the bird it's trying to imitate doesn't even look like that. It doesn't have any, any, those colors are nowhere near the same. There's, there's, it's just fake. That whole team is fake. The colors are fake. Those colors don't exist anywhere else. There actually isn't a 12th man on the field with them? Yes, it is illegal. That's actually illegal? You'll get a flag for that in the NFL. So there's just a whole lot of fictitious nonsense going on. The 12th cast? Yes. Is a fake podcast? It's not even a real cast. It's, it's a fake cast with two fake guys, two, two actors. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> But here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. Uh, you know, there's some things, you, there's arguments you can make for both teams winning. Number one, Seattle was terrific on the road this year. They were 7-1. and one. They're actually bad at home, 4-4. Four and four. They did not defend home very well all season long, up until the very end of the season when it counted most. They are a good road team, though. However, this is a super banged-up team that needed to get a guy off the street that is a shell of himself that I don't think is going to do any service to them against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles have been terrific against the run all season long, even though they're not up there with some of the other best NFL defense, rushing defenses in the league. Well, actually, I take it back because I'm thinking of the AFC. But in the but in the NFC, the Eagles are actually the, the third rank. They're, they're the best. They're one of the best in the league. They've been really, really good, and I just – you're going to make Russell Wilson a, a one-trick pony, then you've got to have good coverage downfield, and you've got to have a pass rush. And the Eagles at home with that crowd, I think, is 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 a one advantage they have. The Eagles, like Seattle, are very scrappy. 
but they're scrappy. They're they're scrappy on both sides of the ball, whereas Seattle's just kind of scrappy on offense. And the defense just kind of, you know, shows up and gives up points late in the game. But there just happens to be enough time on the clock to allow Russell Wilson to go downfield and kind of do his thing. But for the most part, they, they or I shouldn't say for the most part, they've been carried by the offense all season long. They This is a, a team that does, is not very good defensively. And to me, I think... I think the Eagles take this game. The one thing that the Eagles don't have going for them right now is, and I know you can say like, Hey, the Eagles like had a really easy schedule, you know, like, is this a team that, that is in the playoffs and is a contender because they, they legitimately fought their way into the tournament or are they, you know, a victim of fortunate circumstances from being in a, the weakest division in the NFC where to me Dallas on paper Dallas has all of the components to to run away with it and could have been another you know 12 and 4 13 and 3 type of team in the NFC but they just there was just no one good enough or I the coaching wasn't good enough to to put that talent to to its highest potential but anyways that's that's you got to go to the boys cast if you want to hear more about the Cowboys' <laughs> dismal season and the the probable re or the probable rehiring of Jason Garrett. No, who gets fired? Who knows? I think he gets fired. But who cares? That that or you can go to their sister podcast, um, um, America's Podcast. That's yes. the other. Yes, and so but the, the Eagles had a really easy schedule. So they they ended the season nine and seven, and they played the Dolphins, the Giants the Redskins, the Cowboys, and the Giants again to finish the season. All of those teams were, with the exception of the Cowboys, which who finished 8-8, eight and eight, were all re- bottom bottom of the league. Bottom of the league. 5-11 and 11 were the Dolphins. 4-12 and 12 were the Giants. 3-13 and 13 was the Washington Redskins. So not a whole lot of competition there. The Eagles are a much better team than all five, all five of those teams, or all four of those teams, I should say. So they had all the last five games were relatively easy, but it's it's still a good rhythm to be in. You want to be in rhythm where you're dominating and you're winning games, and and you you want to be you want to be you want to feel good about going into into that game, and and I think that they do. Even though they let you know, I'm, I mean, to be honest, they did lose against Miami, if I'm being fair, and they they you know New York is a division team, so those are always tough tough games, but. They did beat the Giants twice, or I'm sorry, I should say, uh, yeah, they beat them twice, and they did get past Washington, and they beat Dallas. So I think that, and those are division, or that was division two, yeah. So they won three of their last four division games, and you know they are actually, I should say, they won all four of their division games uh, to end the season. And those are, even though those teams all suck, division games are always very tough. Because these are the teams that know you the best, because they play you twice a year. That's why all of our division games are tough, even though, you know, the Cardinals are, you know, a subpar team. But Washington, New York, Dallas—they all know the Eagles. And when Philadelphia had to play them, when it counted in the tournament, as at stake, they won all four of those games. So I do give them credit there. But the problem is Zach Ertz is not 100%. Don't know if he's going to play. He's listed as questionable. We know Lane Johnson, offensive lineman. He's not 100%. I think he's going to play, though. And Miles Sanders has an ankle injury, so we're not sure, you know, what kind of shape he's going to be in for the game. Is he going to be, you know, full health Miles Sanders, or is he going to be kind of, you know, 
uh, uh, 80% Miles Sanders, we really don't know. But if they're missing Zach Ertz and Lane Johnson, then I think it's Carson Wentz going to have a really tough time getting the ball to reliable hands because we know there's not a whole lot of reliable hands in Philadelphia right now. So if they are able to at least have Ertz, Ertz is a chain mover and also a red zone threat. So they need someone like him in there. He was voted to the Pro Bowl this year alongside George Kittle. So in the NFC, he is the the next best tight end slash receiver because he's dynamic and he's been doing it for a long time. So they really, really need him to be able to play in this game. So if he is able to play, then I think that gives him a chance. But either way, I just think stopping Seattle's dismal running attack, which is a shell of itself at this point, I think that's going to be the big factor in this one because Philadelphia is going to have a breeze of a time making this team one-dimensional. And Russell Wilson, outside of his impromptu pocket movement, relies heavily on the play-action pass to get this offense humming the way it likes to hum. And without the play-action pass, they're going to really struggle in the air. And I think that's, that favors that's going to favor Philadelphia because because the, there, there is no running attack that Philadelphia should be threatened by. Their defense is more than capable of stopping this team, and I think they will. And I think this game this game's probably going to be a little bit, little bit more low, low scoring to me. I see something like 23-17 Eagles, something like that. It could be more. I mean, it could be something like, if I had to go with an alternate score, I'd say 27-21, 27-23 in favor of Philadelphia. Something along those lines. I'm thinking one possession. I'm I'm thinking 25-21, something like that. So pretty close, pretty close to what they're averaging. 25-21, also in favor of the Eagles. While both teams are banged up, I think the the as I've said all year long, you have around 10 games uh, with wins of under five points or less, eventually those numbers, and we're talking about Seattle, eventually those numbers for Seattle were going to have to start falling on the other side, and they have. They've lost three of the last four games. I see them losing a fifth out of the out of the last four games. They will add that here. Uh, I'm sorry. They, yeah, those three of the last four games, they will add a, a fourth loss to the last five games. I see them losing to the Eagles and the Green Bird who it actually exists, not the fake green bird, the fake neon green bird, but a real green bird actually coming to San Francisco. And I would love to play the Eagles. Uh, just on a side note, I would love to play the Eagles because it's just not a team we see very often. And they're, I still, you know, they're, they're Super Bowl champs from a couple years back. And I still, I have a tremendous amount of respect for, uh, respect for that organization. Those are great coaches over there. That's a good quarterback. And I think they'd be, it'd be quite a, quite a fun romp if uh, San Francisco and Philadelphia in San Francisco. I like the Eagles in this game, Raymond. I, so far, we actually agree on every game. Yeah. I, yeah, I like the Eagles in this game too. I think they win. And I think they come to San Francisco, and then we will give a preview of that game later. But uh, I, I think the Eagles win this weekend, too. A lot of people think Seattle's going to win. They just think they're on the ropes and they're people. desperate. And I'm just like, I don't see it. I, I don't see it. I, don't, I think you're, 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 you're missing the point that this defense is going to limit you know, Seattle's ability to run the football. And their offense is dependent on the run the same way a lot of teams offenses are dependent on the run including us we are a very heavy play action team the most the the, the heaviest play action team in the nfl 
And without that, mm-hmm. you know, I think Kyle Shanahan's ability to coach, he, he's, he's able to coach us out of situations like that. But I, I don't see Pete Carroll has struggled in those scenarios. And maybe that's because he's old school, but I just don't see him being able to coach his way out of that if he's going to be limited the way I think that Philadelphia is going to limit them. I agree. We are in agreement. So let's say you, Goldcast, why don't you let us know, what do you think? Who's going to win the AFC games? Who's going to win the NFC games? Give us your predictions and scores for this game. I'm curious to see what you guys think for Wild Card Weekend. Should be a fun weekend. Enjoy. Enjoy because once Sunday night comes to a close and we know who the team is, it is time to fan back up and get ready. Faithful, unite, Goldcast Nation. Let's get busy and let's start focusing on that next week. But for now, just enjoy. Enjoy sitting on the throne atop Mount Faithful, staring down at the peasants who must play each other yes, and, on Wild Card Weekend. And get excited for the the you know the possibility of Quan Alexander coming back. He showed up. He returned to practice today in a blue non-contact jersey. But either way, that's a huge, promising step in the right direction. If we he can wants get him to be back, back so bad, he does. He really does. Yeah, he really does. The defense is slowly coming back, uh, like Voltron. It is reforming back. Yes. Yeah, so we know All that right. you know next week. You know we'll get to more details, but we know that there's some. We have some horses coming back to the stable, or coming coming out from the stable next week. So if if we can get more of our horses back, then I feel like there's a lot of optimism to be had. If that's the case. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Goldcast Nation. We'll be back next week to to recap all the action action from Wildcard Weekend and then of course of course our preview. And then in between, be on the lookout. The top eleven podcasts. Who are the greatest Bay Area sports teams of all time? We will let you know. So definitely a jam packed week coming up. And so concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Cesar Third. And with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time. Same Gold Cast channel. This is, this is the Gold Cast.